0: Hey friends, I'm Julie Holmquist, and you are listening to Kairos Moments Podcast. God's been speaking to you for a while, and you know you are called to something. It's time to stop playing it safe with your faith, time to lean into your calling, and time to bring those God-given dreams to life. It's time. Let's do this together. You are in for a treat today. I have my friend Stephanie Roussel on the podcast, and we talk about all things related to our identity, our purpose, and our calling, and how a lot of times those things are so intertwined, we cannot separate them. Stephanie has lived two decades on three continents in four countries and five cities. Her spiritual journey took her from French atheism to biblical Christianity. Stephanie is married to a Middle Eastern North African and has two teenagers. She's been a strategy consultant, a retail project manager, interpreter, and a director of women's ministry at her church. She is currently serving as a teacher, a coach, mentor, Bible teacher, and podcast host. Stephanie thrives on Bible-centered, inspirational writing and speaking And dark chocolate. Her passion is to give God all the glory because she has discovered that He promises to delight her with His very own presence. She wants to inspire others to see that God is beautiful. Let's get right into the conversation. At the end, I am moved to tears by the Spirit because you can just tell when someone has really spent time with God. They've shut out all the distractions and the other interests and just spent time with Him. And you will hear that in my conversation with Stephanie. Hey, Stephanie. I'm so glad that you're able to join me today on Kairos Moments. It's been a long time in the works, but I'm glad you're finally here. Why don't you go ahead and tell
1: my audience a little bit about yourself? Sure. It's interesting. Yes, it has been a long time in coming us getting together to do this. Uh, I'm French, so I like slow-cooked meals. And (laughs) I think this time that you and I have together, it has been long in coming, but hopefully it's been slow-cooked and there will be some pretty yummy aromas and flavors that come out of this kitchen for yes. the next few moments. Uh, and I'm using a food analogy because my ministry is called Gospel Spice Ministries. And I love to talk about how we bring out the spice of the gospel uh, through our intimacy with the Lord in order to then become the spice of the gospel to the world and tell the world in need about what we have discovered in the gospel. So that's kind of what I do Uh And uh, I love how you have this focus on identity and, you know, being the spice of the gospel is a, is a pretty important chunk of our identity. So, um, yeah. So I'm, I'm French, but I've lived in the U.S. for about five, maybe six years now. I'm. Losing track. <laughs> but before that, we've lived all over the place. We've um I've always said, you know, we've lived this past the past two decades on three continents, four countries and five cities, and I've been through six professional roles. And mm. now Gospel Spice Ministries is made up of a team of seven people. So it's just interesting. I don't know what number eight is going to be, but the Lord is very creative. So I can't wait to see what that yeah. is. And I grew up atheist in France and I came to faith as a foreign exchange student in the US when I was 17 years old because I had um, I came face to face with the realization of the truth of the resurrection and the beauty of Christ as he is offering himself to be our Lord and that is something that is very hard to resist even when you are a stubborn French girl <laughs> like me my husband will tell you I'm still very stubborn it's genetic there's nothing I can do <laughs> so that's kind of um, kind of who I am in a nutshell Julie
0: yeah and you and I have talked. We've talked quite a bit about um, identity in Christ, our purpose, our calling. Tell us a little bit about what your thoughts are, what you've discovered about our purpose and our calling and how our identity is wrapped up in that.
1: Right. Well, that's a that's a million dollar question, isn't it? I think as humans, we are. God has wired us for this quest, this longing to define our identity, And He has put that longing inside of us because He wants us to find our identity in Him. And that, again, my quest from atheism to biblical Christianity has taught me how identity shapes everything. We are going to act out our identity positively and negatively all day long. When we lash out at our kids, when we get upset with our husband, when we... Um, take pride or when we are ashamed, it is all both eating and the source of our identity, both. And so I think in Christ, we have this incredible privilege to I think it's the only way that we can start looking outside the box of self to embrace Christ as the root of our identity. Mm-hmm. And whenever we box ourselves in self as our identity, we're always our mind, our spirit is not made to be boxed up that way, and so we're gonna bang against the walls inside that box of self. It's so gonna hurt. It's gonna be painful. It's gonna create hurt and, and rejection and shame and all the evil that that we can you know we can face. You know the the enemy is the world, the flesh, and the devil. But the flesh right there, that's the self. And uh, many times I think we assume that the world and the devil are responsible when really we are banging ourselves against the the walls of that box that we have created for ourselves and that Christ offers to free us from. So the goal of our identity is to be so wrapped up in Christ there, that there would be such a meshing of his Holy spirit, his very spirit, the spirit of Christ so meshed up within our spirit that they would be virtually indistinguishable. Mm -hmm. I was going to say that um, lately
0: when I've been spending time with him, there's such a peace that comes over me and it's it's a it's a peace that kind of makes me long and makes me yearn for that day when i am completely wrapped up in him when everything that is of self is completely gone because we will always struggle with that right it's always present And that's where the word of God comes in and he's able to discern the thoughts and intents of our hearts. And it's, it's like, immediately I pray and I ask God to forgive me and to help me walk out who I truly am in him. Basically my life is hidden with him. The life I now live, I live by faith in the son of God. So do you think our purpose and calling comes after our identity in Christ is established? Or do you feel like we discover our identity once we're working we're walking in that calling.
1: How about if it all goes hand in hand? Um, I think it's more like a three braided cord okay I think it all unfolds simultaneously and continually. Um, I haven't walked into the fullness of my identity in Christ, as you said because that's but but I'm more into it than I was. Um, am I walking fully into my calling? No, I mean, we all have hindrances sometimes where we're not falling, living out fully the life that um, God has created us to live because it's a process. And then the purpose, you know, if you consider that our purpose is this unchangeable foundational reason and and um, direction that the Lord is has set for us for our good and for his glory. Again, that is something that, I think we step into every day. It's like it's like marriage. Uh, there's the mm-hmm. wedding and then there's the marriage, right? The wedding is, is one day, but you can't say that you have experienced all of marriage the day you get married, right? There's right. You had the wedding and then there's a lifetime of discovery. Um, and if your husband is the perfect husband as, as we are in Christ, uh, as Christ is the perfect bridegroom, then there's, um, there's never any disappointment. There can be surprises. I think we can often be surprised that Christ is not who we think he is sometimes, but that's always because we have misconceptions and it's never because he reveals himself other than he reveals himself before. He is unchanging and his identity is thoroughly consistent with what scripture tells us, but our understanding of it varies and that's what marriage does. And so I think, yeah, just like marriage, it's something that, doesn't change because once you're married, you're married and there's a commitment and a loyalty, but yet it does change because you change and then your mm. relationship changes. Um, but again, you know, human marriage has two sinful people. And in this, this marriage with Christ, there's only one sinful person and that's enough to make a heck of a riot. So, <laughs> so, you know, even with Christ, obviously in his perfect sinlessness, uh, marriage being the bride of Christ is, um. Wow. Yeah.
0: Have you done study studying on the bride of Christ? Have you specifically done any study with that?
1: Not. Oh, that's a good question. Not per se. I've never taught a study on it. Um, I guess I've touched on it through several studies, but it's actually I have a notebook with like all sorts of ideas for studies and like teaching Mm -hmm. curriculum and stuff. And this is definitely one of them. I think you study it real well when you study um, the Old Testament concept of the of Israel as the wife of Jehovah in in Ezekiel in particular, um, and then Jeremiah, you know, that certificate of divorce, and then um, you have that in the New Testament, obviously with with Christ as the bridegroom. But it's fascinating to watch Christ enter Jerusalem on Palm Sunday because. Starting at that moment, actually starting the day before on Saturday, when Mary of Bethany anoints his, his head with oil, he, he enters into this the, the week of the Passion. And what we miss, because the, the Gospels don't tell us clearly, is that he is at that moment reenacting the exact steps of a Jewish betrothal ceremony, like step mm-hmm. by step, it's there. We don't know it because the Gospels don't literally tell us. Right, uh, and we've lost the cultural framework to understand and read between the lines, but it's there, so the concept of Christ as the bridegroom is very, very, very prevalent and none more so than during the week of Easter. Mm. and yet it's something that we twenty first century Gentile Western Christians tend to gloss over because we've lost the cultural references so it's it's a much more prevalent theme than I think we we realize, and so, yeah. Julie, I mean, I don't know for you, but I, I really don't know what I'm talking about. Truly, I don't understand it. Yeah, um, I think we're all on this road to understand it at a deeper level. And if God records podcasts in heaven, I think if He does a replay of this, you and I, we're gonna look at each other and go, "Oh my goodness, we had no idea what we were talking about." But the beauty of it is, Julie, by then we will know. We will know, yes, right. So at this now. point, you know, maybe you and I can uh, have this stone of remembrance of this moment right now when we are recording this episode and uh, joining us, you know, anyone who is listening, uh, maybe have a party in heaven that we can celebrate in fullness of truth and experience the joy of knowing what it is to have Christ as our bridegroom versus right now, today, on this day, as we are recording, when we really just have at best a glimpse of what it is. But but Julie, it's a glimpse, but how enthralling Yes, glimpse yes. is. We'll have a party. You and I should book yes. a party in heaven for that.
0: Yes. Tell our listeners where they should start practically when they want to learn about their identity and how they can live that out in their calling in their everyday lives.
1: Wow, you have uh, difficult questions, Julie. You don't. I'm make sorry. It- <laughs> no, that's <laughs> awesome. I love it. I'm. I'm- congratulating you it's good we're not here to waste time on trivial questions you know this is you're going straight for the meat and it's it's uh, it's beautiful to watch that you know I don't know if there's a one size fits all I wish there was a, th- a three-step or a five-step formula if there was it probably would be out there and if it is I missed it <laughs> you're gonna have to send it to me um, God has woven each one of us so uniquely and he is so creative that I think he'd be bored to do twice the same thing this being said, you know, he still has guidelines and uh, God being unchanging and being who he is, he, he does guide us. Uh, I think, you know, it's I think it's a mix of knowing with your head and knowing with your heart. It's a mix of intellectual knowledge and acquisition of, of knowledge and also of experiential knowledge. And you can't have one without the other. Let me give you an example that is very Worldly, so I, I love Paris. Paris is kind of my ho- I didn't it's not my hometown, but it kind of is my hometown because I've I've lived there for many years. I love Paris, and in French we actually have two words for one English word to know. The one word savoir refers to head knowledge, so it's when you you know you have intellectual knowledge about something, um, but then you have another word connaître that is for experiential knowledge. And these two words, and connaître, the second one actually is the comes from the Greek gnōsko that actually gave your your English word to know, k n o w. But you don't have the head knowledge, so your word to know means both. But in English, it's fascinating in Scripture that if you look at savoir, the, the head knowledge, you'll find that the you'll find the Greek and the Hebrew word for it, uh, you'll find that. In in the histories of Israel, in in 1st and 2nd Chronicles, in 1st and 2nd Kings, uh, 1st and 2nd Samuel, like the books of the histories of Israel, there's a lot of head knowledge, right? Historical facts that are important. Um, But then you have, so it's an Old Testament word by and large, whereas I think it's 75% of all of the word that means experiential knowledge, gnosko in Greek, 75% of the use is made in the New Testament by Paul. What this tells me is that the New Testament is about the experiential knowledge of the facts of the Old Testament. Mm. I'm brushing I'm a very broad stroke. It's not as simple as that. Go so back to Paris. It's one thing to um, have your house decorated in French country style, have Eiffel Towers all over your place. It's another to actually live in Paris, right? And mm. to experience Paris from the inside out. And even when you do, as I have for many, many years, I can't ever say that I know all there is to know about Paris, even if I spend my entire life there. It's mm. experiential knowledge that is growing forever. And if I'm never done as a Parisian, knowing my hometown, how will we ever be done knowing God, who is our hometown? So in that sense, we never are done growing in our experiential knowledge of him. And and of course, we're never going to be done about our head knowledge of him because he's infinite. All of this to say, The growth in our calling is kind of like that experiential knowledge. I think it's evolving and it depends. It's like knowing Paris, where are you going to start? There's a million ways to start your discovery of Paris, Mm. but it's still Paris. There's a million ways to start your discovery of God, but it's God. It might depend, or if you're a foodie, you might go for the food you've in Paris. If you are more into architecture, you might go to the Louvre and discover some paintings. If you're more into the outdoors, you'll discover the gorgeous parks. It, it's the same way with how we walk out our calling. It depends on our identity because God has created each one of us uniquely. So practically, I know it's not really happening what I'm saying because I'm keeping it at 30,000 feet, but to keep it further down, I would say it doesn't matter where you start your discovery in Paris. First, you have to go to Paris. Mm. So you have to go to God. And much as there is, I think there's a Paris in the States. There's a city in the States called Paris. I forget in what state. I think uh, Texas. In Texas, right. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm sure it's lovely, but I don't think it's the real Paris, right? <laughs> uh, I mean, sorry if anyone's listening from there. And I'm sure it's, it's absolutely awesome. But it, it's not, you know, when you think of, French Paris, you don't think of Paris, Texas. Um, in the same way, when you go to God, you gotta go to the real God. You can't go to uh, a fake one, right? So that means to me, you have to go to Scripture, um, but even that is not enough. So you have to go to Scripture through the Spirit of God, because only He can make those words make sense to to you. So you need both. That's non-negotiable because if you don't enter Paris, you're never going to discover Paris. If you don't enter God on his own terms, Mm. I mean, Paris, Texas is not going to do it. There might be an Eiffel Tower there. I think there is, but it's not the real one. Um, And there's more to Paris than the Eiffel Tower and there's more to God than what we might bring on our own strength. And again, I'm so sorry if anyone from Paris, Texas is listening. I really don't mean (laughs) that. I'm sorry. That sounds so arrogantly French of me. for someone who is interested in discovering Paris and in embracing God in the fullness of who he is, the good news is you'll never be done. There will always be something more enthralling. There will always be a new discovery. There will, you know, will never be done again because you can't put God in the box of self. Like we can put ourselves in, in that box where you start. I'd say it's somewhat up to you. Um, I've guided enough Americans through Paris when I lived there and people would visit us that I kind of knew kind of the top 10 places they wanted to go. And if I they only had two days, this is where we went. And if we had two weeks, we would add this. So in the same way, start with the basics. Uh, only people who had been to Paris two or three times weren't asking to go to the Eiffel Tower again. Um, I've seen the Eiffel Tower enough times for my life,
0: <laughs> personally,
1: yeah. But everyone would. That was the first thing everyone wanted to see but after they had come to visit us two three four times then they didn't ask for the apple tower anymore not that it wasn't good it's just like been there done that there's more to discover and in the same way with god you discover ever more hidden secrets mm-hmm. that are hidden from the tourists from the first timer uh, but you can't discover the hidden secrets if you haven't discovered the Eiffel tower first you have to go there first it's normal of course you do mm-hmm. so uh, and then you can use it to guide you through the city because in, there's many points in the city where you know where it is and it's kind of your, your lighthouse, like it's your landmark. So it is with God. Go, start with the basic. Go to scripture, study the word of God, ask him to guide you. He'll show you what view he wants you to have from the Eiffel Tower, depending where you look. If you're on the second, third, fourth level of the tower, Paris looks very different. If it's on a sunny day or on a rainy day. If you've had a full tummy, if you're hungry, if you're cranky because you've been waiting for two hours to use the elevators to go up the tower, you're going to have a very different experience. And again, with God, so it is. So you can approach what you think is the same text, and yet it's going to mean something different because your heart, the heart you're bringing is different mm-hmm. that day. Your experiences are different. He doesn't change, but we do. And so that's where, you know, if you wrap that back to identity, purpose, and calling, If we're calling changes over the years, maybe it has to do with the view we've had from the tower at different angles. Because Uh if I have it on a sunny day, I will have a different outlook than if I have it on a rainy day. And a rainy day can be very romantic and whimsical. It's not necessarily negative. But if I'm grounded in my purpose and my identity, then I can use the views I have from the tower to direct my calling. So grounding yourself in Christ, I think that happens through the study of Scripture Um, by the help of the Holy Spirit. So you also need teachers. I personally um, need the help of people who have walked this road before me. So having trustworthy mentors, um, I joke that most of my mentors mentors have been dead a long time because I love to read books by old guys. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think there's so much wisdom that each generation has to discover. But the reason also why we keep writing new books, why we don't just rely on the old books is because... As teachers of scripture, you and I are both scriptures, scripture teachers in a very, you know, we try to do this humbly, but God calls each generation to reappropriate timeless truth of scripture and to present them to our generation in a way that is uniquely relevant to our generation, which is why we need to be reading recent authors and speakers as much as we need to do the old dead guys. So surround yourself with mentors, dead and alive, uh, people that you don't have access to because they're dead people you don't have access to because you don't know them uh, but also people that you know and that's very important so right. in your church in your bible study with your friends find people who are half a step ahead of you a step ahead of you and and be teachable and then you may not have the highest view from the eiffel power that you ever will but you have a view right now you do so yeah. how can you help someone else uh, have that view. So you always need to be mentoring someone as well, doing it with humility, because at least for me, I really don't do it perfectly. Like I'm so terrible at it because I fall short. I'm human, but that's okay. Cause you want to role model that humility of, uh, weakness as well, because you know, he's strong when we are weak and that's more than just a cute phrase. It It is a, it's a lifelong quest to embrace weakness so that his strength can shine through. God is never more weak in my life than when I am strong in myself. That's the reverse mm-hmm. of that verse, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I am, when I am strong, then he is weak. Well, think about it. Which one would you prefer? Right. Um, I, I have the choice between experiencing the actual Eiffel Tower or experiencing the five-inch miniature version that I can buy for five euros on the side of the street. Which one is it going to be? Right. And if I want to experience the fullness of the Eiffel Tower I have to be okay with not understanding everything about it. And I have to expect to be blown away by the view. Yeah. And we, so yeah. Yeah, and like you I loved what you
0: said about, you know, you might be on a certain level of the Eiffel Tower and it might be rainy. And that doesn't mean it's negative. It has its own beauty and we can, rel- you know, we can relish in that beauty where we're at. We don't have to be always longing to be somewhere else. God is revealing himself to us every single day. We don't have to wish our lives were a certain way or wish we had a calling like someone else or compare because God has beauty right in front of us. And that's the heart. That's my heart. You know, I want to live in his house forever and just gaze upon his beauty However he wants to unveil that to me, I'm here for it. Mm -hmm.
1: So I love that. My daughter loves art. And so when she and I have the opportunity, um, we're hoping to be in Paris this summer, you know, depending on what the world does to us and COVID and all of that, but hoping. And we always pick a museum to go visit. And in a museum, you go there because you're hoping to enjoy original art, not copies, right? Because copies are always less valuable than the original. Right. So it is with us. Why would you want to imitate someone else's calling when you can have your own? Why would you want to be someone's copy when you can be an original? Uh, and it's, 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 I know it sounds so cliche, but it's so true because we are all created in the image of God. In that sense, we're all copies but to be the copy of God. Oh my goodness, what a calling, right? What yes. an identity. I would much rather strive to be the fullness of who God created, a, created me to be than be the copy of someone, even someone I admire in the greatest ways. Um, right. There's, I can learn from them. Like I want to sit across from you and learn from you. Uh, not to become like you, but to become like Christ in you. Mm. and where the spirit in you echoes the spirit in me, that is where we are truly co-heirs with Christ. Yes. And again, that goes back to our identity. If we truly believe we are co-heirs with him, then what does that mean? Okay. Here's what terrifies me sometimes, Julie, to be honest, is that we use words and expressions that we don't understand. At least I do. May I confess that I will sometimes use sentences straight from scripture and because they're straight from scripture, they're true. It does not mean I have understood the fullness of them. And that's okay. None of us does. And I I don't think it should prevent us from using words from scripture because then I never would feel freedom to do that. But we have to qualify them by saying it doesn't mean I've understood the fullness of it. Uh, When, when, when Paul says in second Corinthians, 12, I think, you know, uh, my grace, when God says to him, my grace is sufficient in the Thorn episode. And, and Paul says that, therefore, I will rejoice in my weaknesses because when I am weak, then he is strong. We don't understand what he means. We, we can't possibly understand to the fullness, but we understand enough that it, it helps qualify our identity in him, if that makes sense. And, and um, at least for me, my finite, small mind has to be content with that.
0: Tell me, tell me a little more about what you were saying about how that is, it, how that involves our identity when we are weak, he is strong. Well,
1: I grew up very self-sufficient and strong and capable mm-hmm. and I've, I've learned, and I know it's not everybody's experience, but that was my environment. And so maybe that shapes how I, I view this because I have learned to call this the curse of a capable woman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I yes. think many of us can relate when we have, when life has taught us to be strong and self-sufficient then it's very difficult to unlearn this way. And I think scripture calls us to unlearn the ways of the world. True wisdom in Christ is first and first. Like the first step, the the early step A is to unlearn the wisdom of the world, which is strong and self-sufficient. So it's saying that uh, the pain associated with that is that you are learning your weakness. Okay, the weakness is there. Okay, I mean, it's there. We are not self sufficient. We just want to be and pretend that we are. And the <laughs> world will, wants to hammer it into us until we are brainwashed into thinking it. So it's this unbrainwashing of realizing we truly really are weak. Um, there's this new book by John Piper, Providence, that lays that out beautifully. It's a stunning volume. I highly recommend it, where he lays out the beauty of our complete helplessness, complete, utter total helplessness and how that is a magnificent blessing because it forces us to rely on christ so if it takes me coming to the realization of my utter helplessness in order for christ to truly shine forth to truly become the delight of my heart then i choose helplessness i I don't want it it's Mm -hmm. painful uh but that's that's okay compared to the greater price uh, we set our eyes on him we yeah. we run the race that is said before it i mean running a race gosh i hate running but i do it because it's good for my body right and spiritually speaking it's the same way we choose we don't choose weakness we are weak we choose to accept mm. the reality of our weakness as opposed to wrap ourselves in the pretense in the make-believe world of our strength so it's this unwrapping this this nakedness when you un. Clothe yourself of your self strength, which is only perceived. It's not really there. It's when you realize you're truly naked, that's when Christ can clothe you with his strength. And for me, it's a process of surrender. It's painful, Julie. It is. It really is. But the freedom that comes with it. Yeah. We are never more free than when we are actually surrendered. I, I truly believe that. That is my quest. I want to be so fully surrendered to Christ that he can be strong through me and that I stop hindering him. Hmm. I I see my flesh hindering his work and it grieves me because I don't want that, Julie.
0: I, I consider myself a capable woman too. And God has taken me through a season of maybe this might be legalistic for some people, But he's taking me into this process of where I cannot do anything unless I talk to him first, even small things like I've been off social media for a little while and not because, oh, all you people on social media still are bad. It's because I want I don't want my works to be burned up and ashes when I sit before Christ at the mercy seat, the mercy, the judgment seat of Christ. I don't want all of that to burn up. He's laid the foundation. What I build on it, I want it to last. And the only way it's going to last is when he prompts me to do something and I'm obedient and it, it will have eternal value. It's not going to go away. It will, yeah, it will just, it will be solid. It will have, it will be gold and silver and all that it won't be wood hay and stubble that'll burn. And so he's in this process of teaching me my who I am in him, my intimacy with him is everything because in the past I used to pray about something and then I'd run with what he told me. But he's asking me to stay, to abide, to get everything I need from him before I run with what he's given me to do. We don't choose weakness we acknowledge the weakness that is already there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we can be clothed with strength, the strength of Christ. And I don't want any of that either. I want to be clothed fully in him and walk in his authority, not what I think I am, who I think I am, because that won't last.
1: I love what you were saying about how we don't want our works to be hands double, but we want them to last. And I think, isn't that, the manifestation of a calling that is in accord with our purpose and our identity. And so foundationally, once we have our identity in Christ, it, it's ever forming. It's not changing. It's it's set. It's just, it's the discovery, right? We, we discover more of it. It's like, again, back to art and a painting. Uh, you can glimpse at a painting or you can spend hours researching it. And the more you research it, and I've never done that, like spend five hours looking at a painting. But if you do that, I'm assuming you will find levels of detail that are probably intended by the Mm. painter that you wouldn't see with a casual glimpse. So it is with our identity in Christ. It is set. How long you spend in it will determine how well acquainted you are with it. So it's there. It's just how aware are we of our identity in Christ? It's an ever more... um, Deepening discovery, right? But it's set. It's the painting. It's there. It's this right. painting, not another. You are this painting. You're not the statue. Uh, but you discover your identity, and that I think that leads to your purpose. Um, and then your calling is the outward manifestation of your purpose. It's it's what you do, and that's the part that you don't want to get the reverse. You were saying, you know, a lot of us maybe when we're capable, we we look at our actions first, and we let them determine our identity. Therefore, we feel strong. Whereas when we start from a place of weakness and the calling slash the doing, the actions, the visible manifestation of the purpose um, plays itself out, then, then it's gold. Then mm-hmm. it's not hay and stubble because it stems from the rooted foundation um, and not the other way around. And, and I know that I so easily do in order to be what Christ calls us to be and then do as the overflow. Right. Doesn't, isn't,
0: we were talking about watchman knee before we got on the recording sit, walk, stand. We have Mm -hmm. to be able to sit first, sit Mm -hmm. in our position in the heavenly places in order to be able to walk. Otherwise, we have it backwards. So we're going to wrap up our time here. And I love your teachings, Stephanie. I could sit here and just listen and talk for hours. Let me just say this I'm going to (laughs) cry. You can tell. When someone has spent time with Jesus and when they share from the depths of their heart, it's obvious they've been with God. And that's what this world needs. We need more Christians, more believers who are willing to do the hard things sometimes and spend time with God. Not just in, oh, I had my devotions today. No, be with him. Amen. One, one time God asked me to be with him for five hours and it was going to be like an hour a day. And I was freaking out because he told me, I don't want a Bible with you. I don't want worship music. I don't want your journal. I want you to sit there and be with me. And I think true power and authority comes from being with Christ, not working for him. Friends, thank you for tuning in. If you have been blessed by this episode, I want you to connect with Stephanie. She's a well, God has deposited a gift of teaching and just a wealth of knowledge and wisdom that has been born out of a relationship with Christ. So Stephanie, tell
1: them where they can find you. Thank you, Julie. I think it takes one to know one, sister. So <laughs> right back at you. And uh yeah, so the Gospel Spice Podcast is where I hang out every week. You'll find me every Monday with a new episode. Uh, I teach about two thirds. About a third of the time I have guests. You, Julie, were on the show a few yeah. months ago. And uh, so yeah, we've got some exciting guests coming up and they bring their own spice, their own flavor of the gospel to the show. So i yeah, I'd I'd love to hang out with you on the Gospel Spice podcast. Otherwise, gospelspice.com. We are a full uh, ministry. We're um, accredited as a 501c3 nonprofit because we do all sorts of things besides the podcast. So you'll find everything at gospelspice.com. We actually partner and want to develop partnerships with organizations that fight human trafficking. And so uh, right now it's still very much in embryo stage, um, but I'm looking forward to what the Lord has in store So you can find out about all of that at gospelspice.com and you'll find me on social media. And I'm sure Julie, you'll have all the links.
0: And I'm looking forward to seeing what God does through your ministry too. So thank you for being on.